How's everybody doing? Doing good? It's good to see everybody. Some of you, it's better to see than others. No, it's great to see everybody this morning. I know a few of you are new here. Um, just wanted to say uh, welcome to Cornerstone. We're glad you're here with us today. We hope your time with us that we will be hospitable. You will be able to just encounter not primarily us, but our whole heart is always that you would encounter King Jesus, that you'd encounter Jesus Christ. So stoked you're with us today, but we are in the book of Matthew. If you need a Bible, there'll be some, uh, looks like today it's some good-looking gentlemen coming down. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand. They'd be happy to bring you a Bible. Um, if you don't have one, please take it home. Uh, keep it. It's our, our gift to, to you. Um, as, as you kind of seek to know God, we, we are passionate about the Word of God. We teach the Word of God. We we seek to live the word of God, but I think uh, most of all is that we seek to know the God of God's word. And so anyways, if you need that Bible, uh, please take it. But like I said, we are in the book of Matthew, and we're looking at what's called the Great Commission. Now, the Great Commission is found at the very, very, very end of Matthew in verses 16 through 20. Now, in this particular passage, we, most times people, when they're explaining the Great Commission, they start in verse 18 when it talks about this idea of Jesus, this idea of Jesus saying, hey, I come to you, and, and as he comes to them, he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations. That's where most times it starts. But the whole idea actually goes all the way back to verse 16 when it says, the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had directed them, which by the way, that is very important. Sometimes we kind of glance over that or we even glance over what Thomas took us through last week, looking through this idea of people that were worshiping, doubting, maybe worshiping and doubting. We quickly get on to verses 18, 19, and 20 and miss the setup of what is so important about this. So I saved these last one. Thomas did verse 17 this week, uh, last week. I'm going to do verse 16 this week. But the key that I want you to notice here is that they were at the place Jesus told them to be at. Now, we might think that's like no big deal, right? Okay, yeah, they showed up at the place. Good for them. Have you ever, have you ever parented before? Right, People don't do anything that you tell them to do. So the simple fact that these 11 men, along with probably, this is when we look at 1 Corinthians 15, 5 through 6, this is probably the 500. These men and women showed up to encounter Jesus just like he had said they were supposed to do. That's powerful. Now again, Jesus goes on and he gives us the rest of the great commission of, of now go and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And behold, or our I, even I, am with you to the very end of the age. But the key of this text kind of that I think it starts off in is just the simple fact they were there. Right? If you weren't there, you missed it. Like, I'm just thinking to myself, you know, it seems that there were 500. What about the 501st that decided not to go? He'd be like, oh man, I, you know, I missed out on this huge event. And this is where we're going to be today is this idea that one of the greatest abilities is this idea of availability. Actually just making yourself available, I think, is one of the key realities of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I'm, I'm the, as a person, uh, I'm from Wyoming, right? And so can, nothing good comes from Wyoming. Most of you don't even know that Wyoming is actually a state in the United States, just so you know that. 
but in it, right, I, I'm, not the smart, I'm not the sharpest crayon in the, in, the, in the crayon box. I'm not the best looking. I'm not the most like personality come out at you. But the one thing that I love that I was taught early in my discipleship of Jesus is, Todd, you can't be all those things maybe, but you can be available. And I think that's one of the things that's always stuck to me is that I may not be all those things. I may be more of a, you know, who knows, a jack of all trades or whatever it is, but there is something powerful about just being available. See, there's on one end, there's this idea, let me go back to this. There's one end with faithful, Christian brought this up of being faithful, available, teachable, the, the fat principle around leadership. It's one thing to have an ability of dependability, which is important. There's a, another thing to have an ability of teachability, which is that last one. But we will never be the disciples Jesus calls us to be if we are not available. And so that's what we're going to really focus in on today. We're going to talk about this idea of availability being the most important ability. And this is a quote that I found that I thought that was so good around this idea of availability. A guy named Edward McCabe, who I have no clue who he is, but he's the Archbishop of Dublin. So that means he's super important. <laughs> he says, the world is a better place as a result of Michelangelo not having said, sorry, I don't do ceilings, right? He made himself available, and in making himself available, we have the Sistine Chapel. He was available. And so that's really what I want to focus on today. I want to just, I want to hit home this point. Jesus chose to make disciples of those who made themselves available. In fact, I think we would be doing a terrible disservice to you if we taught through the Great Commission and then didn't finish with this idea that you will never be able to live the Great Commission unless you make yourself available. And that's what we're gonna talk about a little bit today. Now, one of the things that, that, that a guy named Bob Goff, that I was reading this particular week, he said, God often uses the least qualified most available people to get things done. Now, I love that. Now, the simple reality, though, and you gotta understand this, the simple reality that this happened in Galilee is very, very important. I'm gonna get to that in just a second. Because one of the things you're gonna learn about people from Galilee, there's even a statement within the Gospels that says, can anything good come from Nazareth? Meaning, nothing good comes from Galilee, but think about this. God chose to initiate the Great Commission. He actually chose to initiate so much of his ministry from this little far out of the way sticks place, kind of like Wyoming. All of us, you know, those of us that are in the sticks, we are important. Jesus loves us. But there's just this way in which God was saying almost to the world, I'm going to start where people don't expect me to start. I'm going to go to the places and the people that nobody expects because he wanted to show he can take the least of these and put them on display and show that he is God and king and can transform anybody. Now, the key off of this, though, when we look at it is, it's just the simple thing, first of all, they were available. They were there, okay? So has everybody got that in their mind? They were, and here's the first point to kind of remember in your head. One of the key realities is, they were present. But the question is, how did, how did they know to be present? Right, like and it, they, Jesus told them to be there, but it's almost like, well, come on, where did Jesus tell them to be there? And I am so glad you asked. In Matthew 26, if you got your Bible, you can look back there for yourself, but it says when they had sung a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives. So this is after Jesus had spent a very intimate time with the particular guys. They're going out to the, to the Mount of Olives at this point. And then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. Now, Peter's later gonna be, 
not me, Lord. Everybody might, but not me. And we come to find out even a little slave girl forces him away. But he said, as it is written, I will strike the shepherd. The sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, look at this, I will go before you where? Go to Galilee. So before Jesus Christ dies and is resurrected, he tells them, look, you all are going to be scattered. It's going to get crazy here in a little bit. But come to me, and where are they supposed to be? Galilee. Now, because we as humans sometimes, we don't get it the first time. After then, Jesus raises from the dead. If you look back just a little ways in, in, uh, verse tw- in chapter 28, the angel is speaking to a group of women. You look back there, they'd gone to, you know, to, to anoint Jesus and to prepare him for burial because they really didn't have time to because of the Sabbath. But the angel says to them, go quickly tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead and behold, he's going before you where? Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. But because God didn't trust them still a third time, Jesus shows up to them and says, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. And there they will see me. In other words, he said to them, go to Galilee. And here's the key thing. They were there. They were present. They were a part of this commissioning. And so therefore, when I look out at all of you and just say this to you, be present. Be where God is moving. Be a part of God's church. Last week we learned be in God's word, but just be there. Now, again, some of you might be saying, well, yeah, I mean, that's great for them. You know, Peter, James, John, all those guys, you know, Mary's and, and the different ones, Martha, they were phenomenal, but they weren't. They were normal human beings because, and this is where it becomes so important about this idea of Galilee. See, Galilee on a map, you can see this in a little bit. You see Judea down at the very bottom, there's Jerusalem. At the very top is Galilee, and then Samaria is in between them. And most of the Jews, they would avoid going through Samaria. That was what was so significant about John 4. And they would go around through Decapolis and Perea, and they would come to Judea because they wanted nothing to do with the Samaritans. But for many of them, the Judeans, man, they thought the Galileans were a bunch of backwoods hicks. In fact, they were not only backwoods hicks, but many of that people that were up in Galilee, they were backwoods hicks that had a lot of money, many of them did. They were able to make money because they're on the edge kind of of working into the Roman Empire. They didn't have a lot of the same feelings of restrictions. So they had, and maybe in our country we would call it this, they had new money. They didn't have old money. They had new money. You know what I'm talking about? Now the best example that I can give you for this to understand the difference between the two worlds is to think about New York and Texas. New York is old money. Texas, because of the oil, maybe in the early days, became new money. But you know how New York people feel about Texas people. <laughs> Texas people don't care because they have their own country. But that's, just, that's a whole other issue. <laughs> but there's this idea that's how people viewed them. They were just these people. They were out of touch. They didn't understand reality. And any time, especially, they would come amongst them, just like a Texan going up to New York, they had a drawl and a slang, and they weren't southern slang. In this case, they'd be northern slang. But it was this idea in which, can anything good come from Samaria? And here's what I love. 
In this very moment when Jesus was engaging in his ministry around Galilee, which became the launching point in many ways into the Roman world, he was saying to the entire world, I can use anybody. Anybody. I don't care who you are. I don't care your background. I don't care your educational status. I don't care anything about you because when you understand who guys like Peter, James, John, Andrew, Matthew, all those different guys, they weren't the cream of the crop. They're not the ones that if you were gonna like start this great movement, you wouldn't go, okay, um, find me the biggest losers and I wanna, you know, maybe not that. But like, you know, this is reality though. You would never start with these guys, but yet Jesus, he started with them. Why? Because they were available. Now, let me show you what I mean on this. Let me, let me go this a little bit further. So is everybody with me? This reality of availability is just the first part, is they were just there. The greatest quality of a disciple is be there. Now, in this, though, what's so cool is that Jesus then took these men in and he began to, and here's the other part is, is that they're not just kind of just happening. Like when we look at this idea of the very end of it, we think that somehow these people just showed up and Jesus launched them. But Jesus invested his life into these people for three and a half years. That's why I put up there, they were prepared. So when he shows up to them and he says to them, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, they didn't look at each other and go, oh, I wonder what that kind of means. Now, again, we'll talk about it. They still are a little bit of a bumbling kind of Keystone Cop moment there for a little bit. For those of you that are younger, ask your parents what Keystone Cops are, but or probably your grandparents. But there's this side of it in which when they came alongside of it, Jesus, as they became available, began to prepare them. Now, let me show you kind of what I mean walking you through this process. One of the first encounters that people have with Jesus is in John 1. He shows up, right? And as he shows up, there's John the Baptist, and he goes, oh, right over there. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And now some of the people that were following John left him and went with Jesus, Slowly, these people were trying to figure out who this Jesus was. And by the time you get to verse 39, they looked at him and kind of said, look, where are you going? Where are you staying? And Jesus says this statement to them, come and you will see. Just come, come see. Just come see what I am doing. Come see what I'm about. Come watch me. And by the way, that happened for probably the first year, maybe even year of a quarter of his ministry. They just spent time watching Jesus and seeing what he had done. He says to Philip, and he just says to him on this other case, he just says, look, come, come follow me. Now, so much of the early aspect of what Jesus was doing was beckoning out to people, and he was finding out, are they even available to just come and see? Just come and see. Just come watch what I do. Now, little did they know, John 2, that they were going to show up for the very first miracle that Jesus did. I mean, can you imagine that? You're just, you see them called, you know, hey, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He then travels to go visit some family to go to a wedding. They get to the wedding. The wine's all out. Jesus' mom walks up to him and says, hey, we, you know, we got a problem, Jesus. Can you fix the whole not having wine problem? Jesus looks back to her and goes, woman, what does this have to do with me? If I would have said that to my mom, she would have slapped me. But you don't slap the Son of God. Until I guess the crucifixion, that's a whole other issue. But 
there's this way in which then all of a sudden he takes all this water and he turns it into wine. And you could just see these followers going, who is this? See, for some of you in here right now, as maybe you're not a follower of Jesus or you are a follower of Jesus, maybe in your early stages of following Jesus, the first part of it is just come and see. Come watch. Come be a part of a local church. If you want to experience Jesus Christ, you don't experience Jesus Christ in a vacuum. You experience him in what's called the body of Christ. Do you experience him? This is where it says in there, the spirit of God dwells amongst his people. And so in other words, if you want to encounter Jesus, just be around God's people. We're not perfect like Jesus. Don't get me wrong. But the idea is just come and see. Set your eyes on it. See what it's about. See, who is this King Jesus? Who did he say he was? What did he claim to be? But in this, that's what he was doing with these guys initially, is he was just saying, just come and see. He was asking them, can you be available just for that much? But along the way, you know this, every relationship, right, it has its DTR. You define the relationship. And in John or Matthew 4, Jesus finally looks at him and says, hey, you know, I appreciate that you're following me, but I got way bigger plans for you. What I want to do is, is I want to make you into not fishers of fish, but I want to make you guys into fishers of men. I want to invest my life into you. I want you to see that if you hang around me and if you make yourself available to me on a regular basis, that the more that you're around me, you will start to realize, you will learn how it is that God and his kingdom is seeking to reach out to people. And it was so different, wasn't it? Everywhere Jesus went, he was preaching and he was healing and he was doing different realities, but he wasn't like the other leaders that some of them had followed. Jesus wasn't just hobnobbing with the people that had money and power, but instead he was hanging out with the least of these, with the children, with those of different ability levels, all kinds of different ones from different backgrounds and shapes and forms and their genders. It doesn't matter. Jesus was just out amongst the people. And when he would teach, they talked about this idea that he wasn't teaching like these people that were in the synagogues, the religious leaders, He was teaching with a unique humanity, but a unique authority. He spoke differently. And as these guys watched it, they began to see the master in action. See, we're about ready to teach through the book of Matthew. We were teaching the Great Commission first, but then we're going to teach through the book of Matthew. And in the book of Matthew, our whole hope is, is that you will see the master in action. You will see Jesus, how he interacted with people, how he made disciples. And that's what they were doing. They were just watching King Jesus. And he was making disciples. Have you ever wondered in the back of your head, what was it like to walk with Jesus? Like I was thinking that one time. I remember just sitting there going, I wonder what Jesus was like. And then literally the next day I get onto Twitter because Twitter is the wonderful place where everyone should go to. And so I get onto Twitter and there's a huge debate. Did Jesus laugh? One guy's argument was, well, the Bible never says he did. Well, the Bible never says he did a lot of things, but I promise you he did them. (laughs) But can you imagine hearing Jesus belly laugh? 
Because right, whenever we see him, he's always like, oh, you know, just this like no personality. But yet we know this, he was fully, he is fully God, but he's also fully what? Man. He did all those different things and these guys got to be with him and watch him. But like Jesus always does, he says, okay, I'll take that availability, but now I'm gonna ask you for more. And in Matthew 9, he gets to the very end and he's, he's talking to the guys and he's coming to a point at which he's about ready to define the relationship a little bit further. And it says he'd been teaching, he'd been proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, he'd been healing diseases, he'd been helping people through their afflictions, he had compassion on the crowds, he saw they were harassed and helpless, they were like a sheep without a shepherd. And then he looked at the guys and he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, the labors are few, therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest, not just to have people that come along and just learn and watch, but ones that join me out there in the harvest. Now what's so cool about the kind of the way in which this verse is put together, he was in an essence not just saying to them, pray for people in general, but he was looking at them and saying, it's you. Pray for you. Pray for you to be the ones that come and join me. And then what does he do in 10.1? He called to him his 12 disciples, and we learned it in Luke 12. He named them apostles. There was Simon, there was Peter, there was Andrew, there was James, there was John, there was Matthias, there was dot, 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 dot. I can't remember them all. But there they were, and he said, you all right here are going to be the ones that I'm going to invest my life into, including Judas, the one who would betray him. Now we know this though, for the rest of the point, Jesus' ministry really switched. Almost immediately he looks at him and says, okay, fellas, you've watched me, I've taught you, and now I'm gonna send you. They started going out, they started preaching, they started healing people, casting demons out. Even sometimes they were failing. But you could just see in this moment, Jesus was no longer just walking with them through things. He now was saying, I've invested in you. Now you need to go and do this. And let me just say this. I think the vast, ma- re- the, the, the vast majority of reasons that people give me for why they're not growing spiritually is they generally think I need another Bible study, I need another small group, I need another thing to go to. Let me just say this. If you really wanna grow, quit going to things where it's about you and you start actually going and serving other people. Then growth goes through the roof. Start sharing your faith with people. Start engaging with the lost. Start getting out there amongst people. See, Jesus knew that the way in which these men were gonna become who he intended them to be was not by sitting there with him all the time and watching him, but eventually they needed to go do. And then he not only sends them out, but remember a little bit later, he sends out the 70, and he sends them out to go engage in it. So it wasn't even just the apostles. But what he was doing is, is he was moving that level of availability. Are you available to do this? Now, some of you are like, yeah, but they didn't live in the 21st century. They didn't have jobs like we have. They didn't have freeways. They didn't have all these different things. But the issue, the principle is still the same. Are you making yourself not available on your terms, but are you making yourself available on his? Finally, we know this. 
is that he looks at them in this moment while they're in Galilee, and he says, now, therefore, go and make disciples. Now, here's what I want to do. Everybody remember my backpack? I don't have t-shirts today to make kids cry. I got to tell you this story. I walked out of the service after the one in which I had all the t-shirts, and this little girl was crying. And I walk up to her, and I go, oh, I'm so sorry. Are you okay? And I looked at the mom. I'm like, oh, why is she crying? She goes, because you didn't give her a t-shirt. I was almost ready to resign. <laughs> now, what we were talking about again back in that moment was is Jesus was packing their backpack. Like, I think sometimes we forget that he wasn't expecting to be with them forever. He was expecting them actually to leave. Remember, I told you the story about a woman in our church that she was talking about the difference between her husband and her children, and she went and got a suitcase on one end, and she put it down, and then she saw the dresser on this other side, and she said, see that suitcase? That represents you. I'm packing you and getting you ready to leave. See this one, the dresser? That's your dad. I plan on him staying. But Jesus, in a very cool way, was getting ready for them to go. He was sending them. Now, if I'm going to take you out, right, I've, I've got my tent that I'm going to take maybe out. I've, I've got my, my pad, my pad because I'm old and I need a pad to sleep on. There's all kinds of things in here, my, my climbing axe, my, my helmet. He was getting everything all ready to go. He was packing their bag, and they didn't even know it. He had warned them, but you know this. These guys that were sitting there, they had no clue what is about ready to happen. They were just there. But his whole point is, is guys, I've been packing your bags all along. I've been getting you ready. I'm about ready to go back to the Father. But you have the things that you need minus one thing. This one thing that he was purposing, and I'll go back to that little picture here in just a little bit, is that they needed something that was desperate. They were to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, but they needed to understand that apart from him, they could do what? Nothing. That's why in Matthew 28, he said, listen to me. I have authority. I'm the one who's king over all things. I am with you always to the very end of the age. And in Acts 1.8, the promise came to them, which was, my spirit will come upon you. And when my spirit comes upon you, this bag that I packed over time, over that three and a half years that I put together and put together to put together, it is going to click and something is going to happen that is going to surprise you. It's gonna shock you. And then we know in Acts 2, right, Peter, think about this, the guy that couldn't stand up next to a little slave girl and proclaim Jesus, Acts 2, the Holy Spirit climbs, comes down upon him, and Peter steps to the forefront in front of everybody, preaches a passage of Joel, calls for people's repentance, declares the greatness and the excellency of Jesus and his kingship, and in it then calls them to follow the king, the very guy that couldn't do it, but the moment that this bag and everything thing came together and the Holy Spirit landed upon him, let me just tell you this, watch out. See, in this, one of the things you need to know is that he didn't make disciples in one week. He did it in three and a half years. Well, the rest of the New Testament kind of makes it sound faster. Paul, it probably took closer to like 13 years and he was smart. 
There was this side of it where making disciples just takes time. But when it clicks, it clicks. A guy named John Ortberg, he said this. He said, there's an immense difference between training to do something and trying to do something. Spiritual transformation is not a matter of trying harder, but of training wisely. Following Jesus simply means learning from him how to rearrange, to arrange my life around activities that enable me to live in the fruit of the Spirit. It's being available and empowered. Now again, some people would say, but yeah, I don't still know about me. I've only got so little, but... Everybody remember the story of Jesus when he was going to feed the 5,000? Does anybody remember who had the fish and loaves? A little boy. Now in this story, right, it's this little story about, you know, he's telling the guys, you know, man, uh, they come to him and they, man, Jesus, we need to go get some food. And he says, well, you give them food, right? And they're like, man, we don't, we don't have any food in this desolate place. But Jesus says in verse 16, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said, we only have five loaves here and two fishes. Now, this is important. In John 6, we find out they were the fish and the loaves of a little boy. Now, I'm wondering in the back of my head, how many of them did they go through the crowd of 5,000 and go, hey, we got any food around here? We need to share with some people, right? And I'm sure there's some people going, uh-uh. You know, they're, they're over there eating their own little lunch. And all of a sudden, here comes a little boy, and he hands them some fish and some bread. He was available. And not only did he do that, but then Jesus says he broke the loaves, gave them to the disciples. The disciples gave them to the crowd and they all ate and were satisfied and they took up 12 baskets of the broken pieces left over and those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. What does that mean? God can take anyone and he can accomplish his purpose. We just must be available. And I've tried to hit this available thing from every angle. Do you get my point? Be available. But not only are the people that were available, like I told you before with Peter, in verse 13 of chapter 4 of Acts 4, it says, And when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. They were Galileans. And they recognized that they had been with who? He just resonated out of them. See, the whole goal of the discipleship pathway that we want to put together here at Cornerstone is just so that you can be around Jesus. And each of you are going to be in a different spot. Some of you, like I said earlier, you're just in that come and see place. Let me just tell you that I'm so thankful you're in that come and see place. Just come and see. Come encounter. Come be around. Come explore. Come ask questions. I would say this, if you ever get involved in a religious group that won't answer your questions and won't seek to engage with you in such a way through even your discomforts, your insecurities, the things you don't understand, that is a group you should stay away from. Instead, go, explore, learn, start to figure it out. And one of the things that we're going to do coming up in October, we're going to have opportunities for people to just come and see and, and learn and grow. But like Jesus, there's a define the relationship moment that we're going to have with us when we talk about this invite to be disciples. At some point, you do have to define the relationship and go, hey, 
are we at this come and see point? Or, man, are you at this point where not only you wanna come and see, but you wanna follow Jesus and, so that you might become fishers of men? And that particular point, that's what we call membership. It's just to defining that relationship, to understand not only are you, are you kind of a part of this local church, but are you seeking to enter into that type of relationship? It doesn't make you a better person, by the way. You're not better because you do it. You're not worse because you do it. It's just you are choosing in that moment to just make yourself available. And in that, then, it's the job, I believe, of the local church, then, to provide an environment for you to start to learn what that means. And not learn by trying harder, by the way, but in grace, through faith, like learning what it means to walk with Jesus and encounter his Holy Spirit and have those things put into your backpack so that when the Spirit of God takes those and unwinds you for his glory, watch out. But then there's a moment, too, in this discipleship relationship where it's like, hey, it's no longer just sitting being a disciple now. It's time to learn how to make disciples. You need to go help others do the same thing what we've done with you. Love on them that way. Help them to understand what it looks like to follow Jesus. But this whole thing of what we're trying to do is just to create an environment that looks like Jesus created. That's all we're trying to do. Sometimes I had one person come up to me and say, oh, it just feels like we're, we're trying too hard. No, we're not trying too hard. We're just seeking to be intentional. I think there are so many Christians that have sat and have just absorbed for so long. And I want to, what I want to do as a local church is provide you an avenue to no longer have to sit, but to have a place where you can start stepping into areas of growth and becoming the man or woman that God's called you to be by faith, through grace, in your life, in the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't want you just to sit or just to absorb anymore. I want you to see that God has created you to join him in a way, and he's made you uniquely to be able to do it. Whatever that might be, no matter who you are. And let me just talk to those of you that may not know Jesus right now. Following Jesus is not about trying harder. It's about knowing the king. You don't come to Jesus telling to, with any kind of way thinking that I'm coming to you and I've got my life all together. Actually, Christians come to Jesus and say, I know I don't have my life all together. We come not now saying inside of who we are, look at what all I've done. We now say, oh Lord, would you do a work in me? Would you transform me and make me different? I wanna be that person that you've created me to be. I want to be transformed. I want to look and walk and act like Jesus. And so for those of you that are desiring, because you're caught maybe in this world of realizing that this world and what it has to offer is not there, I'm looking at you saying, I can't fix you. Nobody in here can fix you. But if you encounter King Jesus, if you come to him by faith, if you bend your knee to him, I promise you, you will never be the same. And not only will you never be the same, I believe people around you will never be the same because they're not just encountering you, but they're encountering Christ in you. And so that's where we're trying to go as a local church. I want desperately to provide an environment for all of us, every single one of us, me, everyone, to be able to walk in that pathway that Jesus designed for discipleship but let me just say this, you'll never walk that way if you don't make yourself initially just 
available. So this is my invitation. Wherever you are, make yourself available and let's go. Let's go become the people that God has intended us to be. Sound good? Okay, I got one. Woo! Woo! I couldn't tell. Who did the woo? Yeah, your, your son? Oh, you did. Uh, oh, your voice is deeper normally. I'm excited, though. I'm so excited over these next few years what's going to look like as we pursue King Jesus. Let me just say this. I haven't been up here for a little while either. I love this church. No matter where you are in this pathway, I love you. I love that we're trying to pursue Jesus and know Jesus and follow Jesus. I get that we're all in different spots, but isn't that the way it's supposed to be? We're not all supposed to be cookie cutters, man. This is something that God is putting together. I love that I get to shepherd this body. I just look around right now. Golly whiz. We don't have it all together, do we? But dang it, Jesus is doing a work in us. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.